0: What animals are we going to see? I don't know. Horses, fat-bottomed rodents. Okay. All right. Right. Shall we go then? This is episode seventy-four. Yep. Right. Okay. Tell me when we're going to go. When we're we're ready to start. We're started. Okay porcelain dog. <laughs> porcelain pig <and> his dog. <laughs> right, you going to do the intro? Oh yeah. And we're done. Okay. Hey! <laughs> Welcome to oh. episode 74 of the world famous Tetslu Podschlongs. I'm Ellie Goulding and I podcast with... Boris Johnson. Whoa! <laughs> oh. um, so, slight hiatus since slight. the last... last episode, Mm -hmm. what's the explanation to our 10.8 million listeners? Um,
1: Well, you got a job, didn't you? No, no, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're very, very lazy. That's (laughs) that's
1: that's, what it is.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Busy, busy, busy at Tetsu Towers. Um, Yeah, so we do. So, yeah, listeners, the podcast isn't dead. We're still going to carry on with it. Just as and when. So, yeah. The uh, opportunities to do so are few and far between.
1: Yes. Scheduling has become very difficult. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so. Um, news from the world of news.
0: News from the world of news. Oh, well, there's a jingle for that. Insert jingle here. Yes,
1: there is, isn't there?
0: Yep. Is okay. So. and then that means you delete this bit of text. Mhm. Mm-hmm. out, Sound you put the mm-hmm, jingle. yep, yep, totally. Do you have, uh, I've got a long list of things here. Obviously it's been a little bit it's been a while and uh, as per usual there's some things that I find really sort of exciting and relevant to the tex universe and other things that are just, you know, they're still interesting discoveries but they're more meh so-so. Yeah. Do you know how many non-bird dinosaurs have been named this year so far?
1: Oh, per- approximately 27 squillion.
0: Uh, seriously, go on. How many? <laughs>
1: not, it's not in
0: the squillions. It's not in the squillions. Okay, I'm gonna go with 36. That is pretty much exactly right. I think it's something like 38. Yeah, so 38 non non bird dinosaurs. Uh, if for those of you who don't know, at the moment ra- it's round about a dinosaur a week. So we expect in a we expect in a, any given year there to be you know. Somewhere between 40 and 60 dinosaur, non bird dinosaur taxa named. Which, and every time you say this, so what, when I share this sort of news on, say, Twitter, for example, I say, you know, this new dinosaur, someone will share like a little um, um, memeable picture of like a laughing Jack Horner. This idea that you can, that someone's just kind of just got to come along and there's too many damn dinosaurs, you just got to shrink that number down and synonymize them. And it's like, no. No. The, so, no disrespect to Jack Horner. We've spoken about him on the podcast before. How many dinosaurs has he, air quotes, synonymized? Like, two? <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> so Nanotyrannus, which is not Jack Horner's work. Obviously, it's predominantly Tom Carr and various other tyrannosaur experts have argued Nanotyrannus is not valid. Stygimoloch and Dracorex. Yep there's general agreement those probably are growth phases of pachycephalosaurus okay so it's not two it's three dinosaurs the torosaurus triceratops stuff is not widely regarded as valid not widely regarded as correct they are not synonyms torosaurus and triceratops are distinct taxa and so all due respect to those workers i'm not saying they're doing bad work by any means but this whole idea that that you've just got to shrink all these dinosaurs down into some... You've got to synonymise them because they're all ontogenetic morphs of one species. It's an interesting idea, but it hasn't affected more than, like, you know, two or three taxa. So for people to come in and say, oh, dude, <coughs> as soon as those dinosaurs are analysed, they won't they won't be valid. It's like, well, that is not science. Science is based on... You have to, like, look at evidence. You can't just cast it aside as soon as you hear about it. And, um, and I don't think it's really got a robust... Framework behind it. The discovery
1: anyway. rate is way outstripping any synonymizing rate. Right?
0: That's true.
1: Even if we were synonymizing way faster than that. The discovery rate is so high that um yeah. Obviously we're gonna be discovering more new dinosaurs, new fossil beds are opening up, more people are looking for them. Yeah, we're gonna be discovering a hell of a lot more. It's a terrible yeah. shame because there used to be, what, 350 dinosaurs and I knew every single one.
0: Now there's way over a thousand and um, something, excluding birds. Yes. Yeah. And um, I don't know even yeah. half of them, I guess. Yeah. Ob- okay. Obviously, uh, you know, the uh, – uh, without without doubt, many named dinosaurs will prove to be synonyms. Many of them are poorly founded. Hmm. Many of them would turn out to be nomina dubia. That's not up for this debate. That is un- unquestionably the case. But the assumption that, oh, there's too many dinosaurs, which I hear all the flipping time <laughs> from people who generally don't know what the hell they're talking about, don't know anything about dinosaurs, not mentioning any names, um, is like, yeah, but as you've just, you've just hinted at it, it's like, yeah, but we got we are in a golden age of discovery because there are more scientists working on this, this not just dinosaurs specifically, but you know this discovering fossils um than ever in history. there's more people than ever in history there's more push to publish science than ever in history, and there's also parts of the world that haven't ever been explored for their fossil. Uh, you know, wealth and diversity than, you know, ha- just haven't been explored before. You add all those things together. It's like, well, of course you're going to have a, a steep upward curve on the graph. We've gone off a complete tangent. Why are we even talking about this? Because um, <laughs> when I said this, like a whole bunch of mundane sort of background things, I'm thinking of, yeah, there's like, there's like 38 new non-bird dinosaurs named this year so far. We're in uh, early September right now, 2019. But um, it's like, we're not going to talk about those. What's the most exciting thing that could possibly happen that doesn't involve tapirs and involves living animals, John? Nessie. We'll get to that later. (laughs) Oh, sorry. (laughs) Not the Nessie. Is it some
1: new species of, like,
0: rodent? Uh, Bigger than a rodent. Ooh. Seriously, go on. Bigger than a rodent. It is a mammal.
1: It is a mammal. I'm trying to think of the most diverse group.
0: Don't think of the most diverse group. No, think- sorry.
1: Yes, the most divert- diverse group with the least amount of morphological difference. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, it's a new species of pony from Iceland. Oh. It's. <laughs> no, it's not. Oh. Okay, seriously, do you want to guess? Okay, just, no, just tell time. me, tell me. Okay, a new species of whale. <laughs> A beaked Whale <laughs> okay. was published the 30th, 30th of August in Scientific Reports. It's a beaked whale, a ziphied, which is not surprising because uh, with the exception of Amura's whale, which is a rock wall, and claims of new species of dolphin, uh, including delphinids and also claimed new in um, iniad Inia river dolphins, um, I think all recently named cetaceans. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, t- I'm t- saying this off the t- t- top of my head up without anything in front of me. I shouldn't have done this. But um, I think all the ones that have been named in the last few decades have all been speak to 12s. So ain't super surprising. And um, this actually – so uh, Tassada Yamada and colleagues, James Mead is on the authorship, who's a well-known Ziphy, uh expert um, – yeah, new species of Baradius. Most Ziphiids belong to the Mesopodont clade, uh, like, you know, strap toothed whales and greys and longmans and trues, beaked whales, or, um, but they're, and there's hyperodon, the giant bottlenosed beaked whales, and the northern four, the four-toothed whales, Baradius. There were two species, a northern one and a southern one. Uh, they're both really big, and they've named... A third species in that genus Baradius, and uh, and it's small, so it's called Baradius minimus. Uh, rec- discovered um, off Japan, I think it's something like, is it like four meters long, as opposed to the others are like twice that size. Um, scrolling through the paper looking for measurements never ever ever works, especially on podcasts. So let's give up yep. on that. But um, yeah, it's it's noticeably smaller than the others. <clears throat> I reckon it's like about half a size ballpark estimate, uh but it's another one of these animals where I've learnt from Vladimir Dinetz, and also it's buried somewhere in the paper that it's although it's a new species because it's just been named as a new species, it's technically not it's, it has been like recognized in the literature beforehand, so the whalers in is it Hokkaido I think Japan they did know it and they had a name for it. they called it Kuro Shushi, which means black. Baird's beaked whale. Baird's beaked whale is one of the two recognised the, of the Baradius beaked whales. But um, there's also a couple of papers where uh, technical papers where cytologists have described it and said we don't really know what to make of these yet, but and we need you know genetic data on them or some detailed morphometric analysis, yada yada yadda. So there you go, 2019 and a new species of beaked whale. That's <sighs> pretty cool. Well, yep, there's so
1: much hope for sea monsters then, isn't there?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I've used that in my own work on uh, sea monsters. So like On the one hand, you know, you could say, so on the one hand you say, well, people are still describing new large species of mammals. What, they're still finding whales for crying out loud. But on the other hand, you say, well, hold on. First of all, this is a member of a known genus, a genus that's been known like since forever.
1: Yeah.
0: And secondly, it is... Yet another whale, it's not a member of a radically weird, you know, it's not a living plesiosaur or a...
1: yeah, and it's sort of known, right? It's, well, exactly. Um, it's not like it's just out of the blue, yeah. yeah. Although it does sound like it, you know, so it's, it's actually remarkably smaller than the uh, other ones, but yeah, yep. it kind of looks similar to a lot of other stuff, doesn't it?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll talk about two other things briefly. So another while we're here, another new mammal has just been named. And other end of the size thing, it's uh, a marmoset. It's a new mico species uh, from um, Amazonian Brazil. Mico munduruku. Mm-hmm. Have I been clever enough to open the paper so I can remember the authorship? Uh, it's published in Peer-J, so open access, as was the uh, new Baradio species, as open access. Uh, Rodrigo Costa Araujo and colleagues, uh, the Munduruku marmoset, a new monkey species from southern Amazonia. And it's from that, this so-called arc of deforestation, this like environmentally degraded zone um, in Brazil. Of course, has to be mentioned now because... Yeah, the what with the state of the Amazon being in the news uh, a lot uh, right now. Very scary what's happening in Brazil. Our condolences and best wishes to the, anybody who lives in Brazil under your president. Good God. Um, um, yeah, like rainforest burning. I mean, that's, rainforest is not the sort of forest that's meant to be easily... T- <laughs>
1: it's a terrible terrible accident i'm sure
0: (laughs) right yeah who knows how it's happened yeah Yeah. okay yeah that's super depressing subject Uh, well what i was gonna say is that it's okay i've never i have been to brazil but i didn't go to the rainforest i have barely any experience with tropical rainforests and my understanding is that that those kinds of forests isn't it like really really hard to start a fire in them Uh yeah i guess so i
1: i when you say things like this though you realize well obviously there's quite a bit of diversity in things and Times of year make a difference. Well, so,
0: well yes. Yeah, so it's the, but isn't it like you can't you can't start a fire in primary rainforest. It has to be like secondary rainforest or substantially degraded or recently recovered forest or something like that. Or I guess. But then when I've heard when I've thought about this, I, I think like well, you can set fire to anything if you just chuck in enough fuel. Like if you just like pour tons and tons and tons of gasoline to anywhere, you're going to get it burning. Uh, he says. <clears throat> <laughs>
1: Uh yeah, I'm sure forests once they get rainforests once they really get started just keep burning obviously. They do, right? If you have something because mm. that's what's happening. So yeah, you got enough heat next to some bunch of wood then yeah it'll burn, right?
0: Right. Well. Again, okay, this going up on a tangent. I didn't want yeah. to talk about that. I mean, uh Mico it's it's the 14th species of Mico, Miko, uh, Miko Marmoset that's been uh named now. And um I don't know how well known this is. If you're not like, you know, like a, a I don't know, neotropical mammal nerd, Do you know how many new marmosets and tamarins. Tamarins are like a little subset of marmosets, um, kind of trickers. You know how many have been na- like? There's been a huge burst of discovery and naming of these animals since the 1990s. So, Mico, 14 species. You've got three or four that have been known. Like the silver marmoset, the best known one. That that's been known since the 1700s. Then you have got another. Uh, I don't know, another four or five that have been named known since the 18, early 1800s. Some were named in the early 1900s, but it's nine have been named since 1992. <laughs> so in the genus of 14, nine named since 1992, um, kind of similar to what we we're just saying about fossil dinosaurs. Yeah. It's, uh, it's not, yeah, I, there's a tendency for people to hear this and immediately think it's suspicious that, that, People are splitting or recognising the tiniest differences, and it's 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 not. It's like it's people like doing science they hadn't done before on previously understudied or unstudied populations, and and go into new areas. Because um,
1: yeah, I'm clicking through the Wikipedia articles on the marmosets now, and a lot of these one these <clears throat> the Miko ones particularly have tiny ranges. Right, mm. they're just tiny parts of them. <clears throat> Mm. Amazon you can sort of yeah. see why they might not have been studied.
0: Yeah. Yeah, could talk a whole load about marmosets and tamarins, They're really interesting <laughs> little monkeys. Um, yeah, I, I there is somewhere a tetrapodology uh, article on them because they're one of they're one of the best examples within mammals of probable uh phylogenetic miniaturization because they seem to be not ancestrally tiny; they've like evolved tiny size from bigger-bodied ancestors, and then they've got a load of weird specializations, which also must have evolved from a different condition. For example, they've got claws instead of nails. Oh. <clears throat> um, some, <clears throat> excuse me, early diverging primates, strepsirines, you know, lemurs and stuff—they've got some claws. They've got claws and nails. So claws are obviously like the ancestral condition for. Uh, primates or the primate like total group the larger group um, with then uh, anthropoid primates you know, monkeys and apes and such um, having nails but marmosets and tamarins have like reverted back to having claws mm. and uh, yeah some people say that's a climbing specialisation but then other people say nails are a climbing specialisation so <laughs> I don't know sort yourselves out primate functional morphologists all over the tree there <laughs> Um, and oh, there's a whole bunch of stuff I want to talk about. Notosuchians, uh, Cretaceous uh, Crocodylomorphs. but um, I think we've done. Wasn't there like a two-minute rule on news or something? Something like that. Yeah, something like that. I think I think they'll do for now. That's that's some. There's some newsy stuff. All right. That's world for news
1: in the world of news. Then
0: <laughs> done. Well you got to say world from the news of news
1: <laughs> news from the world of news <clears throat> okay um, so new from Ted Zoo so this is news from the world of Ted Zoo
0: yeah yeah don't do well we I couldn't be bothered to write it down but there was the news from the world of Darren and John yep and then pick and news dog <laughs> is it, I guess I guess we should should I mean have you got any news you want to share John Um I've Any been I've been
1: on the Silk Road. I don't yep. know how relevant it is to um, Tet Zoo, though. I, I saw some animals, mm-hmm. but I there were mammals and I
0: couldn't identify them. <laughs> what sort, of sort of mammals?
1: Yeah, some rodenty-type mammals with big, fat bottoms. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you saw, like, they a fleeting... Cool. Or a glimpse in the foliage, or climbing things, or burrowing things. Burrowing
1: or... things that were mostly running away once we drove past. Um, yeah, yeah uh, they were the biggest thing we saw. Well, apart from the obvious big things like all the horses and um, camels and things like that.
0: So you drove the Silk Road, you didn't walk it? <laughs> it takes several years.
1: Well, actually, we only drove a portion of it. Um, we did one week of driving in Kyrgyzstan. Um, the rest was on trains and walking about, um, Kyrgyzstan actually was pretty interesting for the number of horses. I was, you know, you hear it's sort of the land of horses, you know, and, um, you think, well, there'll probably be more horses there than normal, but you have huge numbers of horses everywhere, um, um, all over every field up in the mountains, Um, And I don't know how, and I keep meaning to look this up How it's all arranged Do these horses belong to anybody? Are they wild horses? I never actually solved this They don't seem to be tagged or anything in any way Um, Mm. But presumably people are using them for something They do eat them there, of course (laughs) They ride them But the number of horses is similar to the number of sheep in New Zealand I would say, it's incredible
0: (laughs) Wow. And that like, was just Kyrgyzstan, or was it true sure about the Central Asian No, revolution?
1: that was... Oh, there were more horses in other places, in Uzbekistan as well, but um, yeah, definitely Kyrgyzstan was where all the horses were.
0: Um, so where did you start? Did you head east out of Europe?
1: Yeah, so we started in Azerbaijan and got a boat across the Caspian Sea. They say boat, it was a ferry, pretty large ferry. Um we were going to go to Turkmenistan, um, and we had v- Turkmenistan 's a crazy place uh, dictatorship which very difficult to get visas for, um, but we got visas, but the ferries are so unreliable that we it would have um, screwed up our entire schedule, so we had to get a boat to K- to Kazakhstan instead, and so we went to Kazakhstan, then we went down into Uzbekistan and saw all the um, famous architecture in Uzbekistan, which was really more of an architecture tour and a tour of cities. Um <clears throat> saw some camels. Um and then we went into Kyrgyzstan and up we were gonna go to China originally, but
0: So were they Bactrian camels?
1: Uh <laughs> Damn it Darren, I'm going to have to go look at photos. I can't oh. remember. I can't remember. And now I'm okay. looking in my mind's eye and thinking, nope, it's not there. I don't think they were mostly. No. Hmm. Yeah. I think cuz I think I would have noticed that. Yeah. Is one more dom- uh, domesticable than the other or tameable?
0: Uh well they, I think they're both equally tameable, but dromedaries are more abundant by far but i don't yeah. know what the deal is with that part of asia so never been there
1: yeah yeah no they're mostly dromedaries um i think i think i would have noticed huh. um yeah do you remember
0: them being like shaggy like long
1: furred oh, no they weren't well, that's so a, yeah,
0: that's,
1: yeah. That's gen- yeah yeah i was yeah we were just a bit disappointed because there's photos obviously in kyrgyzstan of um bactrian camels against the mountains and the snow but we didn't see any of those. Um, <clears throat> saw no. I don't think we saw any camels in Kyrgyzstan. Just, just horses. Oh, and um, you know, all the normal, domesticable animals, and the little fat, burrowing things, which. The really <laughs> <look up. laughs> little fat burrowing things! Oh, they were so fat, Darren. They were so funny. What I um, called. Not- some sort of marmot or something? I don't know. I was
0: going to say, you could be talking about marmots.
1: Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure if that's... Yeah, that, <laughs> they were definitely a marmot-type thing.
0: Right. Glad you did your research yeah. on your uh, <laughs> natural history. <laughs> what animals are we going to see? I don't know. Horses, fat-bottomed rodents? <laughs> <laughs> running yeah, away oh
1: so, uh, yeah the reason i'm not saying for sure there were some sort of marmots, i don't know whether they live there i think mean, they probably do right they totally do totally yeah, do then yeah. definitely marmots yeah. um yeah <laughs> yeah and then we were going to go to china but uh the visa situation into china that part of china because of uh the political situation at the moment was too difficult so we mm-hmm. uh, ended up going back into kazakhstan and flying back from kazakhstan Kazakhstan is a big country. We started in one end and ended up at the other, and it was like... We went through two countries to get there, and it took us two and a half weeks. Whoa. Uh, ninth largest country in the world, Kazakhstan.
0: Seriously? Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's not a surprise. I, n- I know how big it is, but yeah, you just, just don't hear that as a statistic. Uh, Bobak. Bobak Marmot is the uh, Central Asian... Um, animal, all the way from eastern Ukraine to central Kazakhstan.
1: Hmm. I thought, I found it quite interesting. They seemed to be quite abundant. Their burrows were everywhere, right? And in certain areas where there weren't a lot of people, we drove down a fairly um, like not very well-travelled road on a – and there were dozens and dozens of them. You could see them running away. In an area that didn't look like it had a lot of food in it, right? It's sort of quite arid. Hmm. Um. You wonder what they're all doing, but yeah. Interesting that they were so abundant. I guess. I mm. Wouldn't
0: have guessed it. You I, guess. I guess. I guess. I guess they're eating tubers and stuff under the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Or grass. Yeah, if there's like, they can probably like nibble away on really close cropped. Grasses. Yeah, that's so. what it is.
1: It's lots of cr- close crop grasses. I'm guessing that's what they're doing. But yeah, it w- gets get to sort of the discussions of um, that we have about dinosaurs about and modern faunas about uh, the density of animals in places, right? And how many animals can be supported in an area. And our, uh, I guess our intuitions are that not very much, right? We tend to mm. underestimate how many animals are the Lancer can support, I think Well, I think my intuition is wrong Yep And I think lots of people's are Which is why we sort of balk at the idea That it can be lots and lots of big animals Living in the same place Yeah How could it possibly support the populations of these things But yeah, well, I guess,
0: yeah <laughs> Well, we live in an impoverished world, so we've got, you've, you've heard about shifting baseline syndrome. Yep. The fact that if, I, if I'm in the countryside and I go past a field and I see a flock of 15 finches, I go, wow, that's a huge flock of finches. <laughs> and to my dad, he would have gone past a field and seen a flock of 100 finches and gone, wow, well, that's a huge flock of finches. And to my granddad, he would have seen a flock of finches of 1,000 birds and would have gone, "Well, that's a really big <laughs> flock of finches, none of them knowing that even 1,000 was like a tiny remnant of one existed a 1,000 years ago. Uh, so, yeah, that is a, a thing, definitely.
1: Yeah, and thinking about how many domestic animals or, as I say in Kyrgyzstan, semi-domestic with the horses, there's a lot of them. You go around, you mm-hmm. see them all over the place, right? It's not unusual to see like quite a lot of big animals roaming about, clearly living mm-hmm. off the land. So, yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah, so um, anyone that's thinking about going somewhere that is uh, uh, spectacular in the natural sense, and cheap, and a bit off the beaten path, not particularly touristy, go to Kyrgyzstan. It was the most spectacular country I've ever been by a long shot.
0: Seriously? Wow. Yes. What an endorsement. Yes. The most spectacular country I've ever been. Unreserved. John, Corm- I'm writing that down. The most spectacular country.
1: Now, I should mention where I've been. So, Yeah. I, I guess, Croydon. Yep. <laughs> yep. I've Canberra. Been, I've been to... I've been to London, I've been to Canberra, Australia, no, I mean, I've been places, I've been to the Alps, I've been to the Andes, um, you know, I've been to spectacular places in Canada and uh, the United States, um, and Australia, obviously, um, and, oh, I've been to India, and yeah, I thought it was absolutely amazing, and I can't wow. believe more people mm. don't know about it. It's also hmm. quite a nice place to go there. Well, like lots of places, but they're pretty friendly. And uh, the main problem is getting around. But if you're into backpacking and stuff, that's hmm. that's fine. Yeah. It's not, it's, like, you it's not like you'll be staying in nice big hotels and yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. easy thing. But if you're looking for a sort of an adventure holiday, it's, it's, it's
0: amazing. Cool. The John Conway Guide to Central Asia. <laughs> Thanks so much. I am Jew... To go to Azerbaijan next year. Oh, it was it was scheduled for this year, but it got cancelled
1: uh-huh.
0: due to illness of one of our party members. And fingers crossed on that.
1: What's that? Is that a? Um... It's
0: a cryptozoological expedition. So I'll oh. talk about it more. Yeah, talk about okay. it more in the future. Cool. Yeah, because the... Yeah. Yeah, totally up for that sort of thing.
1: Didn't really get to spend any time in Azerbaijan. Just Baku, which is sort of a big. Uh, European <clears throat> city, which doesn't feel that different to a lot of places. Uh, quite cool. Okay. But there cool.
0: You go. Do you want to talk about any new arty stuff? Um, I haven't done any art in the last month. so Okay, so that's that then. So uh, The reason <laughs> the reason we're here is because of Tedgewood Zoology. The section of the show called What's New at Tetsu? Which, despite Darren having no time to do anything anymore, he still... Is aiming to churn out the Tet Zoo articles and, um, uh, so yeah, if you, if you again, we've I've done this before. If you listen to this podcast and you don't look at Tetrapods the blog, I don't know, I don't, I don't know, I'm pretty sure the sets there are overlapping, but, um, presumably 100%. But <laughs> so there's as, and, and often the stuff that we talk about here, we're either talking about it because it's been covered on the blog, or it gets covered on the blog because we talk about it here. So, for example, like the whole Loch Ness monster thing we did, which we're going to come back to probably the next episode. Uh, that's been uh, I did I did the long, long, long book review of Tim Dinsdale's uh, the book by um, Tim Dinsdale's son. Um, there's a, there's a long review of that fairly fairly recent article on tetrapodology, and um, there's, I think the current article is the one on my the whale watching trip I went on in the Bay of Biscay, which was amazing. Oh. But because it's topical, or was topical a few weeks ago, it's kind of like died down now. I want to talk about gulls. Uh, there's an article Ted was already, Hacks versus Wildlife, the eternal vilification of gulls. So I noticed there was a sudden, there was an uptick during the summer of um, <laughs> gull themed articles like crazed killer seagull attack my baby <laughs> psycho seagulls reign of terror <laughs> expert says puppies and kids could be next <laughs> all genuine headlines by the way not co- not. Kidding. and then when was it it was um july late july there was the story of gizmo the little chihuahua who was picked up and carried off and consumed by an evil killer gull, leading to headlines like, It hurts too much, owner of Chihuahua Gizmo, targeted by hateful and spiteful trolls, off the pet was snatched by seagull. Another headline, down in one, fears seagull that snatched chihuahua, gizmo may have dog hole, <laughs> and, and MPs demand seagulls are fed contraceptives after pet chihuahua snatched. Um, so the, the media, the red tops, as we call them, the, the shitty tabloids, they work themselves up into a frenzy with clearly nothing else to write about. Brexit clearly wasn't exciting enough for them. <sighs> um. Seagull terror, lock up your babies, seagull flew off with cat, student attacked by seagull. <laughs> Man called 999 as seagulls stole food. <laughs> Seaside town brands, aggressive seagulls, they're public enemy number one. Um so is this view of gulls as crazed, frenzied <laughs> bastards from hell? as portrayed in the british media is it is it accurate and the answer is yes it is 100 <laughs> no for god's sake what a load of rubbish so i wrote about it and then i was um i was asked by i did a thing for uh, bbc science focus magazine uh, specifically looking at uh, is it our goals becoming more aggressive that's the angle they wanted on it and the short answer there is no, <laughs> they're not becoming more aggressive. They just, we're just seeing a cycle of um, increasingly uh, preposterous and um, hyperbolic reporting by bored journalists – Are they becoming more carnivorous and predatory? No, they're as carnivorous and predatory as ever. It's just, again, it's being reported more. Um, And and the fact that, you know, we snap photos of them means that today, if you see a gull eating a pigeon, you're more likely to photograph it. And nobody was doing that 30 years ago, let alone 100 years ago. <clears throat> uh, are there more gulls? Are, is there some gull plague and that pretty soon you won't be able to step outside your house without being mobbed and attacked? It's like, well, definitely a larger urban population of gulls. Here in Western Europe, we're talking about the herring gull, the lesser black-backed gull. Um, that Yeah, there's a larger urban population, but there's a smaller population of these gulls overall. They they are in decline, and they are less abundant around coasts and stuff for all, for all kinds. Of, the reasons <coughs> you expect, mm. you know, there's 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 less of. I mean, the herring gull. I've said this on many occasions. The herring gull is now a red list species. Its population has like you know declined massively since records began. Uh, the lesser black-backed gull is also uh, undergone a worrying population crash. North American gulls have also declined hugely since since uh, records began in the okay records only begin in the sixties, but there's still enough for you to have um, yeah pretty good understanding of what's going on um, and and, and uh, yeah are the seas becoming full of more fish is population is is pollution declining are there less people um fishing and stuff like that it's like no it's pretty obvious that all the things is there less building and urbanization around coasts where gulls might traditionally have bred and and, and nested and stuff. Um,
1: so what you're saying, Darren, is that they have good reason to hate us, and that's why they're getting violent, right?
0: <laughs> well, of course, the whole thing. So, so I watch uh, loitering around on train platforms a lot, as I do. Loitering's the wrong word, but I'm spending a lot of time tra- <laughs> traveling around, <laughs> legitimately, Le- legitimately waiting on train stations. I watch gulls a lot, and I watch people, human behaviour, and I'm just like never never ceases to amaze me how how clueless people are when they're around animals other animals so what you see most often is you'll see some person eating a sandwich and they're stood okay so i'll describe this for the benefit of listeners they're holding the sandwich like in front of their face elevated so it's level with like their mouth and then they'll sort of turn to the side while they're talking to a friend or a child or something, and they'll leave the sandwich there. And that is the moment when the gull flies in snatches the sandwich. And it's like, yeah, that's what gulls do. They're actually uh, – birds in general, I think, are really good at what we call gaze recognition, of, like n- understanding what you can see. And you know, people, there was a recent study done where some guy sat on a beach and um, put a plate of chips in front of him and he just stared at the chips. And the whole time he was staring at them, not one gull took a chip, even though he wasn't eating them. The gull could have just stood there and stood in front of him and just started taking off the plate. But they won't do that because if they are aware that you're looking... Like they're within your field of vision. Yeah. You know they they know that we're horrible, hurtful, hateful creatures who will kill them if we can. You know people often do that to gulls. They shouldn't, but they do. Um, kick them and kill them and stuff attack dogs, attack them with dogs, or whatever, run them over in their cars. So they wait till we can't see the thing of interest and then they strike. <laughs> but um, but and and yeah, people getting attacked by gulls. Yeah, people get whacked on the face people have had things pulled out of their mouths and scratched by gulls' bills and whatnot. Yes, it happens. I'm not saying it doesn't happen, but it's like it happens like, I don't know, there's like three or four or five cases a year, and they're all cases where, like I said, people aren't behaving like in the most sensibilist ways when they're around these big – I mean, the big gulls – the, the herring, the lesser black backed, the great black backed. It's not called the greater black backed. It's the the great black backed girl. Um, they can have a they have a wingspan of over a meter. They weigh a couple of kilos, I think. Oh my god, is that right? That doesn't sound right. Uh, does, that does sound right. Yeah, that's mass. Great. Big girl, keep. Well, yeah, it might be a bit heavy. <clears throat> Well, yeah, okay, so uh, the great black-backed gull can be over two kilos, but the others are generally less than a kilo. Whatever, they're large birds. It's like this is a formidable creature that's living in your environment. You, I, I despise the idea that now that these animals are there, that people should be – we should be rid of them. We should kill them all. Just get rid of them. I mean, no. What about like – what about – Okay, you can't, you can't say let's get rid of the people. That's not going to happen. But what about people being sort of sensible and the, don't walk outside with food held aloft in your hand or let your little child walk along with food in their hand? Children are not very good at looking out for sources of <laughs> danger. Um,
1: I, I think there's an interesting phenomenon here where something is rare enough that people don't think about it and therefore they get really angry about it when it does happen. I'm thinking about in Australia, there are birds that will attack you, right? The magpies there will attack you. there's a known season, they will do it, and they they can they draw blood and stuff, right? But people are more aware of it, and I guess it's just like, yeah, well, that's what happens. they do it. you've got to watch out for it, right um. Whereas with gulls, what? Mm. What? The injustice of it, right? I never thought this could happen. I never thought that sneaky bastards.
0: I guess because cause a lot of people go to the air quotes seaside as a sort of air quotes holiday thing. And then all of a sudden, what are these giant white vulture rat things? And, which is... Also, I think I really dislike the the idea that they're sort of dirty sky rats, isn't they? <laughs> they're they're more beautiful than you are. Um, I find all this stuff really annoying. As people get really bizarrely angry about stuff
1: like pigeons, right? Yeah. Oh, flying rats! Flying rats! What do you mean? What are you even talking about? And you ask them, and they don't know. Mm. What What are you talking about? Well, disease? Something? Something? Yeah.
0: What <laughs> <One. laughs> What? yeah and and why are they yeah why are they there why are they so why are they so abundant it's like isn't it because like you slash we have created an environment that's good for them and have taken away places where they might live in the wild i mean that's definitely the case with gulls yeah they're nesting on rooftops because like well yeah okay some of them are still nesting in their sort of coastal places but those are now rarer Mm. are subject to heavy disturbance And um, and are just sort of less ideal than this nice uh, these flat roof environments where we've where there's no predators.
1: Yeah, our attitude to what would I call it urban animals is very strange. I think that given Mm. the tiny amount of inconvenience they cause human populations, really virtually none, right? Yeah, Uh, and yet so weird anger directed towards them is bizarre i, yeah. don't, I don't get it
0: um i was working on a, an article for uh, a broadsheet newspaper which didn't happen in the end but whatever and um i i made the point in that that part of the reason for gulls b- being perceived as a problem in cities is is because you know we've actually got rid of animals that did predate on them or compete with them so for example kites red kites were uh it's, you know this is off this is always mentioned whenever people talk about the recovery of the red kite in the uk they say that oh it used to be an urban bird and you know like grabbing things out of cities like, well it's not urban anymore there's no kites in cities well kites were kind of doing the gull thing uh back you know go back a couple of centuries they're not there uh, eagle owls are predators of Um, gulls in suburban environments and even in some surprisingly urban places in Scandinavia. And uh, British eagle owls are... There are a few eagle owls in the UK now. They're meant to be like... uh, There's still some controversy as to whether they're... um, You know, whether they've been released or escaped from captive populations or whether they have colonised... Uh, the UK, like naturally from continental Europe, but um, but they would have like had an impact on gulls in some environments, and then also we've got way way less predatory mammals than we ever had, um, so it's like we've Got rid of a lot. Oh, and eagles, uh, obviously, white-tailed eagles have some relationship with gulls, and they do predate on them very rarely, but um, we've mostly got rid of those as well. Although, good news, there is, obviously, there's the successful, he says, uh, seemingly successful reintroduction of white-tailed eagles back to the Isle of Wight in the south of England, and uh, um, let's hope that becomes a thing, because they they were all over the coast of the the UK until, like, the early 1900s, when... um, the noble hard working stewards of the countryside who make sure nature runs smoothly killed all of the birds <laughs> killed everything <laughs> yeah the whole idea of game keep gamekeepers as stewards of the countryside what a load of rubbish yeah you're managing it for the for the for the production of to boost the crop of one or two species that people like shooting we've done we've done the whole red grouse thing before we're not going to do it this episode as well Mm. so of course it's back there in the catalogue of episodes um episode something something episode something something which uh, if i look in the um uh, transcripts Mm -hmm. oh wait there aren't any transcripts why not john Why are there no transcripts? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's because it's because somebody was really kind who did a really good job and did two of them. And so I've done these (laughs) Done these. It's a lot of work. (laughs) A lot of thanks. And then lost them. (laughs) (laughs) Where are they now? Where are those transcripts? Only those. Only (laughs) <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure if they were put in the right like place on the internet then then there'd be more people would be encouraged to say yeah let's transcribe all seventy three episodes seventy four including in this one. <clears throat> um should we talk about TetsuCon? Yep. Go on then. Um okay. <laughs> or do you want me to?
1: Well, I can talk a little bit, and then you can be cross that I didn't mention a whole bunch of things. And, and, Let's do uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so Ted Zoocon is happening again this year on the 19th of October, same venue as last year, which is Central London, Mallet Street. Um, Darren has lined up a fantastic bunch of speakers, I'm sure. Um, we're doing a similar thing to last year, doing... um. Uh, Two days of talks and workshops. There's a paleo art workshop on the Sunday. Um, It's the same price as last year, uh, but you can buy tickets to just one of the days if that suits you, unlike last year. Um, So, yes, what else did you want to mention?
0: Well, no, that's good enough. I mean, yeah, so 19th and 20th. Yeah, sorry. um, Yeah, of October... Um, well, it's like a mix of like a fantastic range of speakers, as John said. I mean, it's all, it's all on the website. Go to, go to tetzu.com and then click on the um, 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 TetsuCon uh, page. And so, yes, it's like about, I don't know, 18 talks. I mean, there's a bunch of short talks that are part of the uh, Paleo Art Workshop, but then like a whole list of like really awesome talks, two or three stage discussions, one about um, wildlife filmmaking – and one about dinosaur paleobiology, uh both accompany various talks <clears throat> uh possibly some paleo art exhibition type things so oh, there 's yeah? kind of yeah there 's enough paleo art stuff for there to be like a in theory like a whole day of paleo art but that 's not that 's not how it works it 's got to occur in parallel or the same or or yeah interspersed <laughs> with other things well um we may change that in time um a lot of book signings a lot of merch there's merch tables and um i tr- i'm trying i haven't overstuffed the schedule with like so you have to sit down all day and listen to talks i want there to be discussions i want there to be q and a's and things so i'm sort of This is the sixth Tetsucon. last year was the big um kind of getting over the hump of like now things that's now a different game it's a different animal now um so yeah this one i i i want i want to have like as much interactive stuff and uh it to be it's neither a convention it's neither a conference it's sort of a mixture of both but yeah we definitely want to i feel like the interactive stuff works really well my impression from vis from our guests and audiences that it does um there is a conference meal on Sunday night, mm-hmm. which you have to book for separately if you want to go. You need to go and pay attention to how many tickets have been sold for that, because I don't know uh, um, how full it is <clears throat> or empty. How many spaces are left is what I'm trying to say. By <laughs> <How laughs> the way, this how could... empty it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was very popular last
1: year. Uh, yeah,
0: that's what I'm. Yeah, it's like how. Yeah, many and it sold out
1: very quickly. Um, we've moved it somewhere bigger this year, oh, so there are more more. Um, What's the name it's, of the restaurant?
0: It's Carlucci's.
1: Carlucci's, yeah.
0: Okay, so, uh, and already um, we've sold, already we're in early September, so we're still more than a month to go, and already we've sold, over half of places are taken. Did you know that? Over half. Mm-hmm. So, I have a list, in fact, I've been, uh, <clears throat> yeah. 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 Actually, that's boring. I don't need to show you the list.
1: <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think that's good podcasting.
0: Okay, um, <laughs> here yeah. it is. <laughs>
1: oh, okay, that's great. Oh yeah, right. nice list.
0: Nice list. Um, we now come to the part of the show called "Popular Tat." Oh. Need a jingle for that? If you made one.
1: Um, no. no. Weird. Interestingly, we know because we've we haven't done Popular Tat for a while, have we? No, we just haven't got it together to watch the same movies. Also, no. there hasn't been enough monster films. They used to they, when we started to, um. Tetrapod cats. There was um. There were like, dozens of monster films, and there was a new one like every week, and now <coughs> they're all just superhero films, and I can't, I just can't.
0: Been a lot superhero films. <laughs> have you seen uh, so things that we might have mentioned but haven't discussed? Have you seen The Shape of Water? Uh we did talk about this, and no,
1: apparently it's meant to be no good. Is this correct?
0: I I watched it. I thought it was all right. All right. Um, Have you watched um, A Monster Calls? No. Okay. Um, And there's many other films as well. And there's many
1: (laughs) other films as well. I can't
0: think of any. I can't think of any monster themed things I've seen. Oh, The Lion King. Have you seen The Lion King?
1: No. Have you seen The Lion King?
0: Uh, Yeah, I have seen The the Lion King. Thank you very much. much. Uh, Any good? Wow, <laughs> um yes and no, okay, so, like I've said before, there's two ways of watching a film there's like you can sit there like it's a fireworks show and go,,
1: Ooh, ha, ha, oh, pretty,
0: right, and <laughs>
1: that's that- not how I watch fireworks, by the way, but yeah, so <laughs> oh, you can imagine okay. I watch fireworks like I watch my films. Would I have done that? Was that a good choice? I don't like that
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I watch a Film like a child mm. and a stupid child, <laughs> and uh, I like okay, so I really liked the look of The Lion King. I thought the, the some of the yeah, the environments and stuff were spectacular, you know, paying a lot of attention to the look of the animals and all that sort of stuff. And uh, that wow, a really, really good job. Okay, apart from the obvious criticisms, like the lions do look a bit dead in the face <laughs> a lot of the time, there's a uh, there's you know. Because they've they've they worked hard to try and portray them as real animals, so they don't give them like human expressions, which sort of ruins it. <laughs> but um, in terms of the and there's one or two things that are sort of jokes or riffs on the original animated film that quite that worked quite well. I thought I won't say them what they are because spoilers. Um, <laughs> but the things that uh, I, kn- I know the I know the original animated film really well surprisingly and um not surprisingly. i'm kind of joking there yeah um the there's things there were sort of like particular ways of saying a line or a particular like like one character says this line so you sort of expect the other the other characters say you know the next line and it seemed time and time again they like deliberately didn't go with that now you got to say Partly that's because well they're not just remaking the whole film they are trying to be original but it's in all the cases concerned they were it's like yeah but those were the things that made the original delivery good and you've <laughs> ruined it you've just taken it out because there's a totally different actor doing the voice or there's a different intonation the the whole shape of the conversation the sound of it the cadence is everything's totally different um, I think that that's that sort of left me a bit disappointed I was expecting like ooh Sazu <laughs> Oh no, you you made me lose my lunch and <laughs> they don't, never they don't have so they won't <laughs> say that it'll uh ah, that's a terrible example but um <laughs> yeah um yeah so i li- i liked it uh, the look of it thought so it looked spectacular um people that know a lot more about filmmaking than me think there's all kinds of problems with the stuff to do with the, you know like Frame rate and lighting and all that sort of stuff, but um, yeah. In terms of the the actual, didn't it didn't give you the same hits from the like beats of the story and the sort of little bits that made the original so good? So
1: yeah, it feels like a. I mean, I it feels like one of these things, which is why why are you doing this to me? But uh, well, I yeah. guess, you know, Hollywood, they are completely out of ideas apparently
0: yeah and there's nothing original there's no original ideas out there no so, all the
1: stories uh, have been told as far
0: as i can make out yeah you know, so <laughs> what's nothing left else. but retreads yeah um but the amount of money i mean as a as a cash making machine i i need to learn the lines from that episode of bojack horseman because yeah the purpose of a film is to make money if you just see it cynically as a machine to make money, then by God was the lion king successful so what well, and what's the lesson they learned from that? We want more uh, cG remakes of animated films we want more superhero films but <clears throat> I do believe that
1: the whole thing is in decline because they they're relying more and more on these super big budget things, but the whole
0: as a whole in decline. The, in, yeah, the I movie. suppose. I suppose Avengers Endgame only made a billion dollars. No, yeah, yeah totally. but
1: no, exactly. But they're concentrating more and more on massive budget films, whereas overall films are making less money, I think, because they're losing to the television. Um. Mm. And speaking of pointless retreads, let's we'll get to the popular tag <laughs> you actually have on the list here: the Dark oh, yes. Crystal.
0: Pointless request. <laughs> <laughs> you know, The Dark Crystal. So The Dark Crystal, uh, what, what, when do you reckon the original movie was, was made? I'm, I'm going to guess 84. Yeah, something like that. Let's see. Yeah, I'm going to go
1: 85, just in case I'm
0: <laughs> right. Just because you're that guy. Oh, yeah. uh, it's 1982. Oh, <laughs> your, <laughs> I win. You writer. are wrong. Yeah. 1982. So there's a Netflix TV series. It's called The Age of Resistance, where it's called ne- Dark, the Dark Crystal: Age of Resistance, and it's a sort of prequel. Meant I haven't watched all of it, and you haven't watched any of it. Okay. Mm, I, I'm surprised that I, I really like the Dark Crystal, the movie, big fan. Um, and I, I kind of think it would have been even more of a vision if they'd gone with the original uh vision given that you know that there was a plan to sort of have no english in it there were the creatures were going to have their own languages and it was going to be subtitles <laughs> all, all those sorts of things that make something hopelessly difficult <laughs> uh, really really complicated like, like you lose half your audience but you got more artistic integrity that's uh um the, yeah apparently you know if they had done that <laughs> wow it would been even more even more niche um but the 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 series is yeah meant to be meant to be a prequel uh, <clears throat> somehow leading up to the events of the film. Which is it? Something to do with? Cause I, I, yeah, I haven't I haven't really gotten into it yet. I don't really understand what's going on totally because cause, do you remember the theme of the Dark Crystal? There's okay, there's the skexies who are kind of like bad, and they're dominant over the Gelflings and the uh, little pod creatures. <laughs> what, what are they called? I don't know. And, that, so, and the, the Skexies are kind of bad mirror versions of the Mystics, who are kind of like kind and gentle and pastoral. And the... The Skeksis and the Mystics are actually the same organisms, but they've been broken into two when the crystal became broken, or something along those lines. Oh, this is really, yeah. And they get merged when the crystal's repaired. Is that right in the movie? So I haven't got to the bit in the TV series. I haven't seen any Mystics yet. I just haven't. Yeah. I- I so it's kind of similar thing to the Lion King, and is this coincidental? But. I'm I'm watching some of the TV series, thinking, "Wow, this just looks amazing." Some of the scenes, the lighting's great. You know, the little puppets are really good. Um, but then I'm thinking, "What the hell's going on in the story?" I'm just not really kind of feeling it for the story. It seems to be a bit all over the place and focusing on a lot of stuff I don't really care about. And also and also is ah uh, if you're not if you're not that smart, then you're already struggling to keep up with the characters. They start off by telling you that the Gelfling the seven clans of gelfling and um and you need, and I'm and start listing them. Oh, God, do I need to remember <laughs> seven Gelfling clans? Turns out, no, only three. But even that's so, like, oh, my God, I've got to keep all three Gelfling clans. Okay, so there's the dark eyed underground ones, there's the warrior ones, and there's the, I don't know, Stonewood Forest ones or something. I've, maybe, so maybe it's not that difficult. But, um, but then you've got the different characters doing different things at different times in different parts of the story. I'm sure they're going to overlap at some point. Um,
1: I think this is an interesting trend in um, television, and especially television. Actually, is it's got really complicated, like lots and lots of characters, different scenes chopped up, different stories, interleaving stories all the time. Um, it's funny when you come back to, a, you know, you watch it last year and you come back first episode of a series <laughs> you've been watching for series you've been watching for years, and you think, wait a second, I don't know what who anyone is or why they're doing anything because <sighs> you just can't remember. It does come back to you. It's but it's interesting how complicated these things have become. That must be on the upper limit of what we can actually keep in our heads.
0: Yeah, um, yeah. I think that the Dark Crystal also is kind of like it's recast some characters or species in a certain way that I don't really recognise from the original film. Like there's a there's a like a sort of. Uh, there's a character called Augra who's got ram's horns and one eye and she's like a bit grumpy and uh, she's meant to be kind of wise and a keeper of knowledge and stuff. But my my take from the original film is that she's kind of like the, the as, as is as is so common in, you know, sort of stories based on inspired by legends and mythology she's like the knowledge keeper and the young characters on a sort of quest have to go and consult the knowledge keeper and you know gain some insight or some talisman or something and um and that was Augra's role so far as i remember whereas now it seems that in the maybe this makes sense for a prequel but she seems to have been set in a much more kind of she's much more powerful important character and i don't know at the moment that just doesn't ring true it doesn't feel right to me but um and the Skexies, okay the Skexies i think i probably the main reason i watch it a lot the like Skexies. i'm pretty sure now you know that part of the appeal of this this series is that they haven't gone CG. It's like still, you know, Jim Henson puppets. So mm. Brilliant. You know, they've got, everything's made, you know, and you're thinking all the time, wow, how do they do that? That's really good. How, how There were people uh, standing underneath that with their hands inside and stuff. But it looks to me like the skexies have got CG tongues. Ooh. The Ske- and the skexies when they talk, their tongues kind of like flap and snake around. And that just, no, it's not all the time. Sometimes they don't do it. But um, when they do, it's like, it's, i i don't think it looks very good and i'm thinking have you CG'd in a tongue there and i haven't yet f- <laughs> oh my god that sounds weird <laughs> i haven't <laughs> i haven't actually done any research on this uh i don't know whether they have put CG tongues in the skexy's mouths so uh so listeners if you know a lot more about the dark crystal and CG tongues than we do then uh, yeah let yeah. us know. I know Simon Pegg is um I think Chamberlain, the uh one of the main Skeksy characters and I recognise one or two of the other voices of the characters as well. <clears throat>
1: I should I should re watch I, <laughs> I should rewatch um the Dark Crystal because the last time I saw it I was a kid. And I never liked it. Hmm. It was one of those films where, you know, we had a videotape of it, I guess, or my neighbours did. Uh, so I've seen it like f- four or five times, probably. But I-, I never liked it. I never thought it was... Uh, it never The atmosphere of it never grabbed me, I guess, right? Hmm. Um, I might enjoy it more as a, a bit older, I guess. But... Mm. And I'm looking at it now, because I've, I've, my memories of it are so poor. I'd forgotten yeah, yeah. all of these. I remembered like the um, the skeksis. Is that what they're called, skeksis? Yep. Yeah, the big beaked ones, the ugly ones. Yeah. That's how yeah. you can tell they're bad, by the way. Um, but I don't remember these. Are they gelflings?
0: Yes. The
1: little cute ones. the little big things. eyes, big eyes, yeah.
0: and mm.
1: yeah, don't remember them. I do now. Now I'm looking at them, but I wouldn't have. Yeah. So. What's the new one pitched at? Is it pitched at kids
0: at all? Or is it deliberately not pitched at kids? Um, well, it doesn't have anything in it that's not child-friendly. Right. So I'm sure that kids will be fine with it. But um, what is the key demographic for Netflix, isn't it? Like people in their 40s. Yeah. So, but that's I why I wonder whether they
1: super-sexed it up and violenced it up or something. No, they haven't. No, there's but- No,
0: there's no... Yeah, girlfriendly orgies or anything like that. But, um, <laughs> oh my god, I'm not searching anything like that on the internet. Where will that be? Um, wait a second, I'm just curious now. <laughs> uh, um, let's just turn this moderate search off.
1: No, it's still okay. safe. It's still safe. <laughs>
0: oh my god. <laughs> Um um yeah. <laughs> okay you shouldn't have done that <laughs> um right L- like so many things that are kind of like a big deal now i can't think of one example but there's loads oh my god uh a lot of these things are Done to appeal to okay, the Transformers movies, right? Part of the reason the Transformers movies have been successful is not because they've appealed to children, no, they're not movies about tra- <laughs> transforming cars and trucks and helicopters, which is stuff for I don't know, 11 year olds. Um, it's because the people that want to see them are now in their 30s, 40s, and 50s and they're taking their kids along to see them. And I think it's the same with, um, yeah, something like this, it's uh, it's got massive appeal to from what i've seen you know the people i know talking about it are are people in their you know 30s upwards and um yeah so i think it's like probably predominantly targeted at that knowing that those are the people that will talk about it and therefore encourage (laughs) their families to watch it so yeah that's hmm. yeah i think you've hit that on the
1: head that they they're aiming at the parents of children so that they can get children into it as well, right? Yeah, and yeah I've made Mike Continue it. the franchise, yes.
0: Yeah, I've like watch this. You'll like it, but Dad, we hate it. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's really good. Well, it's it was. Really it was thirty years ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've had the DVD for years, and um, I think Will's watched it once and didn't dislike it, but Emma hates it. And uh, the Dark Crystal. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think it's an interesting film. I don't in the. I don't think. I think lots of kids don't like it. As mm. I remember, I did. I liked as I say every film I ever watched as a kid. I liked. wasn't <laughs> like I didn't like films like I do now. Um, <laughs> I watched them with childlike glee, all of them. But Dark Crystal is just like, yeah, they really like
0: it. Huh? How the tide has turned.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> I might still dislike the Dark Crystal. You've become a
0: miserly old, m- miserable bastard. Well. Yeah. <laughs> I think you could tell from 10-year-old John that you turn out this way. I blame Hollywood. <laughs> um, okay, shall we uh, wrap that and put it in the bag, that episode, then? Because that'll do. Put yeah. it in the net. In the net. Another, another Back of the bag. Back of the crisp packet. That's another uh, uh, successful episode recorded right <laughs> okay so with tetsu uh um yep yeah. okay and <laughs> um social media are you on the internet i am i
1: am on twitter uh the john conway uh i tweet a lot really yep <laughs> i tweet like five or six times a month Wow and it's all automated. But they big tweets, Darren. Big tweets. The best big tweets. tweets. Uh-huh. The biggest tweets. Yep. You?
0: Yep. Um so there's TetBodZolji Facebook page. There's a Tetzucon group that which you should join if you're interested in keeping up to speed on Tetsucon, the conference convention thing. A blog at TetBodZolji, Tetzu dot currently in its fourth. In Carnation, and I'm going to publish a new article today, time permitting. But we'll talk about that later. And I'm on I'm on Twitter, I'm on Instagram and Twitter as Tezu. Wait a sec, no, I'm on I'm on I'm on Twitter and Instagram. I'm on Twitter at. For God's sake! Sorry, it's been a while. It's been a while. Well, I'm on Twitter at. Who are you? Oh, I'm terribly sorry. I I didn't mean to intrude. No, no, please don't get up. No! A laser bolt to three PO's chest sends him flying in twenty directions. (laughs) Very specific.
1: (laughs) Smouldering mechanical arms. I'm sure someone's counted that. Anyway, go ahead.
0: Smouldering mechanical arms and legs bounce off the walls as the door whooshes closed behind him. That's not how it happens in the film. No. At Tet Zoo.
1: <clears throat> <laughs> They're like, we don't have budget for 20 directions. <laughs> how do you stop. even do that? <laughs>
0: Smouldering limb parts. Uh, um, yeah. That's it. We've totally we forgotten there? how
1: to podcast. Yes. Yeah. Let's stop there. Right. Uh, done.